Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of Conversations. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. On our program, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Barbara Marks Hubbard is a world-renowned visionary futurist, evolutionary educator, and inspiring speaker. Deepak Chopra has called Barbara Marks Hubbard the voice for conscious evolution of our time. Barbara is the author of six acclaimed books that communicate the new worldview of conscious evolution. She is the co-founder and chair of the Foundation for Conscious Evolution and additionally co-founded many progressive organizations, including the Association for Global New Thought, as well as the World Future Society. Barbara, welcome to Conversations. Okay, let's start out by talking about your appearance here in Nevada County coming up. On March 5th, you're going to be speaking about evolutionary spirituality and how it comes alive in us now. And that's from Saturday at 2 to 4 p.m., March 5th. And then on March 6th, you'll be speaking about Keeping the Promise, Guidance for Awakening Your Full Potential Self. And that'll be not only you, but also Reverend Jerry Farrell and Carolyn Anderson. And that will be being held in Grass Valley at Unity in the Gold Country Spiritual Center. So, Barbara, what is evolutionary co-creation? In some sense, all co-creation is evolutionary because it means that you are co-operating with a creative force. I remember David Spangler once said to me, remember, Barbara, you're the co, you're the CO. (laughs) But the creator that you're creating with is the impulse of creation, the divine, the consciousness force, whatever word you want to do for that, that has motivated life from the origin of creation to you and me sitting here. And co-creation is when you as an individual are inspired to join with the creative force within you to begin with, not just even with others, but a real co-creator is co-creating with the inner impulse within themselves that's coming from the source, from the spirit, from God. And then if you can co-create with another who is also coming from source, spirit, and cooperating with that within themselves, then you get the next stage of co-creation. Now, I'm, I'm speaking of it in a much deeper way than it's ordinarily spoken of. But real co-creation between, first of all, within yourself, with God. Secondly, with another doing the same, with their own deepest inner impulse that they are co-creating with, joined for shared purpose. Wow, then you start to get what I'm calling joining genius. And joining genius is, in some respects, the next step after joining genes to have the baby, Ah. which is something of a miracle, a total miracle, actually, that joining genius if two or more have got that unique impulse of their own genius code, Mm -hmm. and they're attracted to that genius in somebody else, you get something new through the joining of those two genius codes. So it's more than cooperating. Yes. So if you really were to co-create with the creative force inside yourself and with another, you will find that your genius and your unique gift, the special expression of yourself, joining with someone else, fuses the way evolution does because evolution works through particles, joining with particles all the way on up from quarks to us. Yeah. So you could call this the eros, eros of evolution. So the eros of evolution is joining genius to create an emerging human and an emerging world. So let's go out back just a little bit on something you said. There seems to be this inner force that is waking up. So we started with 
the awakening of the inner force. Right. And that seems to be awakening at an accelerating rate. And that's not just, I mean, it isn't just in us. It's happening with some force of nature or something. As part of the web of life, it's happening all over that we have this inner force that's waking up and then that people are recognizing, oh, if we join these inner forces somehow, that's going to be bigger than the than one and one equals two. Exactly, that's right. Yeah. So, what's at the heart of the awakening? The first place that this awakening is happening within ourselves that is suddenly exponentially growing. What's happening? Is that because the force is then refeeding itself and causing it to causing more people to wake up? Well. <clears throat> I think what's happening is that we have now on earth a set of crises, which if we continue growing this way in the womb of earth with more and more power and domination, we'll destroy ourselves. Now, first of all, that's an important crisis. Mm -hmm. It's the big wake up call. I'm calling it a crisis of birth. Mm. Like the baby's done very well in the womb, but if it were to continue to grow even another few weeks, beyond its time to be born, it would die and kill its mother. If we were to continue for another 40, 50 years as we've been going, we are told we can destroy our own life support system and so many more species with us. So our crisis is there. And because the planet is a living system, we're members of a living system no matter whether we know it or not. I mean, everybody is a cell in that body. And so the body itself, the planetary culture and system is under stress and it seems to be waking people up to what's emerging in themselves. What's more being born within you, your own creativity, your own essence, your own love, your own expression. So the new human is waking up to more of who he or she truly is and wants to create. Hmm. Yes. I was talking to a biologist, um, for, I forgot which one right now, since I talked to a number of them, but uh, it was an interesting thing that he had been mapping the um, antibiotic use and how the, the, the power of antibiotics has continued to diminish to where it's pretty useless to even make them anymore. Yes, but yes. The, the exact parallel curve with that was a, an increase in people studying herbology and natural medicine, and it was almost a parallel on the opposite uh, side. That, yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, Yes. So we're also then realizing that Earth and Mother Earth herself, not only can we destroy it, but we can participate in the natural evolution. And and I think that as we learn that we have to ha care for our environment, it's more than just caring for and returning to some past state, because I don't think we can. I mean, we have too many people now. Yeah. We have these huge, huge cities. We have so many uh, threats, but we also have so much information, so much creativity. Our nervous system has connected in the last 10 years with Facebook and Twitter and 5 billion cell phones and more. Yeah. What does that mean we have a new nervous system? And I have been thinking from my inspiration with Teilhard de Chardin that the noosphere, which he called the mind sphere, at some stage would get connected enough and we'd wake up and he called it the Christification of the earth. Mm. And we're call, calling it a planetary awakening in love, connecting co-creators worldwide. This is the last important thought here is that my intuition is that there are already enough people evolving already enough innovation solutions and creative breakthroughs if they were connected we would see the emerging world it is already here but it's not connected so therefore the key to a planetary awakening would be to connect that which is emergent everywhere small groups large groups and global now 
In your newest book, The Evolutionary Testament of Co-Creation, you talk about Jesus as an archetype in this new way of being in the world. Can you tie that in with what you're talking about now that we have all these kind of lights going off all over the world, but they aren't connected? Well, you know, Jesus has said so many things that, uh, that when I was reading it, I realized he was the greatest evolutionary that's ever lived because he actually embodied the next stage of human evolution, both in the pre-crucifixion miracles, love, Sermon on the Mount, producing in abundance, being able to heal everybody easily, all of those things, we are really beginning to learn to do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Then comes the crucifixion, and I interpreted the crucifixion as the crucifixion symbolically of this stage of evolution. You cannot continue to behave this way and survive. So when he chose to go to Jerusalem, to, uh, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, he knew it was going to lead to that, which is the most horrible possible thing. And he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if this cup can be passed, let it be passed. And somehow he got the intuition, you have to go through this, but why? I don't think it's anything like he died for our sins. But the story tells us that he arose as a new human with a new body that had persona. It was not a cosmic Christ. In the story, what Mary Magdalene saw was a person. And that founded Christianity. It would have been no Christianity from a good Jewish teacher. And as St. Paul said, without the, the resurrection, our faith is nil. So just think for a moment that Christianity, the whole Western world's Christianity, <clears throat> and the world Christianity got founded on the idea of a new being, a totally new person. Hmm. So... What's really true, if you study carefully the post-human, transhuman capabilities in nanotech, biotech, artificial intelligence, life extension, genetic engineering, all of that, you know what you end up with? A new human. A new human. So (laughs) I'm making a really obvious assumption that if you combine Christ love with new capacities, You get the new human, and he was the first to embody it. Wow. And the Bible, the New Testament, was written by people who had to try to understand something that at that time really was not feasible. That with the advent, particularly of science and technology, but also of spiritual maturity and social innovations, the way I got published this one this time is... This editor uh, called me and said, you know, Barbara, we can do the works that Jesus said we can. And I want to publish your book because you're telling us, Jesus said, you will do the works that I do and greater works in the fullness of time. And she said, well, it's the fullness of time. We need this book. So the fullness of time is we can do the works. Yeah. And if you combine them with Jesus and the Christ love, which you don't usually combine high tech with high love, <laughs> but when you do. Works. Well, you've always been good at combining things. <laughs> high tech and high love. And you know, that's what I feel the book is about. Yeah. High tech and high love. Well, let's talk about evolutionary spirituality. And you talk about the four E's in your book, the eternal, embody, emerge, and eros. Can you uh, speak to that a little bit for our listeners? Yes. There's a new spirituality arising with all of this being born as new humans and creativity and new dangers. And my experience of evolutionary spirituality, I mean, in the broadest sense, it is you are incarnating the impulse of creation as your own spiritual essence. That's where it's coming from. You've been created by the billions of years of evolution. I go along with with uh, Aurobindo that there's consciousness and then there's consciousness. There's consciousness force that creates atoms, molecules, cells, not as a god from outside, 
but as an inner impulse intelligence of the universal awesome degree. Given that, the, the four E's are, if you are becoming evolutionary spiritual person, first of all, you will know that you embody the source of creation. The, you embody that which is eternal. So the first one is eternal, the first E. But, but you are holding within yourself the origin of creation is, is actually within you. Those first three seconds, before, even before the first three seconds of the flaring forth, the eternal is sourcing it. And Andrew Cohen said this years ago, it's a continuous Big Bang. It isn't just that it happened once, it's happening all the time. So if you have evolutionary spirituality, you will feel the eternal alive in you now. That's number one. Secondly, you will realize the awesome truth that you embody the whole story of creation. Your atoms, molecules, cells, your lower brain, your upper brain, your neocortex, the entire, your hands, your eyes, your ears, all of it was created by billions of years of genius, yeah. creative genius of evolution. I love evolution. I mean, when I think of what it took to make one eye, yeah, I mean, or one ear or thumb, or I look at you right now and I see the genius of evolution made manifest as you. You know, it's a wonderful way to see things. Yeah. So that's the second E, embody. <clears throat> the third E is emerge. Evolution is always emerging as more. That's what it does. It either renders itself extinct, but if it does go extinct, something more comes. We've had five mass extinctions. Billions of species have been extinct already. We're the first species to know this to know that we are conscious of evolution, that we're affecting evolution, that we are evolution. So the emergence is then you then tune into your deepest, deepest source of being and say, how am I expressing that as an aspect of creation that is indwelling in me? That's your creativity and life purpose. Mm. Wow. And then the final one, is eros. I need to make it a verb and I haven't been able to figure out how to do it. <laughs> but the, the eros is this incredible story of allurement that from the origin of creation, particles attracted to particles make new holes greater than the sum of our parts. So our eros today, at a time when we're separated at so many levels in our society, is the eros impulse to connect, to co-create. And that goes back to the question, what is co-creation? Right. That would be at its highest level, eros in evolution. And so the eros is both internal to every person, trillions and trillions of cells inside us are connected to each other by eros. Hmm. Isn't that lovely? I love that and I love the word allurement. I know allurement. both... Thomas Berry and Brian Swim have used that term. Brian Swim, that word allurement is just one of his most wonderful words. I, I think so too. That's that's what I was thinking when you talk about. And of course, then you talk about Christ love and allurement. Uh, is there? Do you see a parallel with? I with, certainly do. Yeah. I mean, love you one another. Every you know, Jesus would walk through a village. Just walk through the village, and people would get healed. And he had this outrageous thing he loved everybody well in loving everybody he totally upset the scribes and the pharisees who had social structure they were holding on to for power okay. so he destroyed power without even trying because eros of that nature when you're pure god force speaking you actually create a new society yeah. i mean if you could imagine all of us doing that all the social structures are just about gone but they're failing anyway, like so-called liberal democracy here in the United States. Yes. It, it's actually either a tragedy or a farce. I don't know what you want to call it. But it's designed to create opposition. 
It is, indeed. You can't win without opposing. But actually what the world needs is co-creation. And I'll just drop in the thought here that I'm, I am developing something called the Peace Room Process that I ran for vice president on to invite small groups to map, track, and connect what's working in the world right where they live. And then connect these smaller groups with each other toward a global awakening such that we would become a more synergistic society. And because it's one thing to be an individual that's, that's doing this, but it's another thing to create the field of co-creation. That's not so easy yet. Most of us are still in separated silos. Now, we've had, as you said, five mass extinctions. We've had, um, and with, with that, much, it seems like much might have been destroyed. And I'm thinking, how has, has this continued to grow? I mean, I guess the, the rocks and the earth itself hold the memory, as, as um, my friend John O'Donnell used to call, talk about the tabernacle of the earth. Uh -huh. Or in some place, it, it seems that we're drawing, as well as awakening from within, on something like a morphogenic field, like uh, Rupert Sheldrake talks about. Right. Know, that's that where where is this the impulse i guess it's coming from everywhere but how i don't know how how do you see it evolving that that inner impulse well i like um urban laszlo's use of the phrase the akashic field mm -hmm. yeah. which is even deeper than the morphogenetic field so the morphogenetic field is by the habit you create new laws in the universe by doing new things right it appears to be so that the universe never forgets anything. And in the Akashic field, you might say it's a celestial information pattern that is non-local, mm -hmm. that is entangled and connected, out of which everything is arising, which holds zero-point energy, which is infinite energy, right. free. And... So the Akashic field, this uh, Irvin has written a book called A New Map of Reality. Yeah, I, I, I haven't read it yet, but I know of the book. In Integral Science is something that's a subtitle. And he's got Deepak and uh, Stan Groff and a lot of people writing insights into it. So I think that what we're finding is that the unifying field is the Akashic field out of which everything is arising. And that as we get more and more into evolutionary spirituality, we become more contact, in contact with the Akashic field, not just simply as a, a oneness of an eternal reality, but as an emergent property of universe itself. Hmm. Because the universe is always evolving. I mean, apparently... Evolution always wants more. That's a, another one of Brian Swim's phrases. Yes. He says, the universe could have been satisfied with hydrogen. It could have said, whoa, we created hydrogen. Let's stop there. <laughs> you know, it's sort of funny when you think. Of, so another way to look at this, too. Do you think that the universe, after 13.8 billion years, will just stop with us and say, this is it, folks? Right. We're the final, final. That's all. That's always been a mysterious thing to me that people think that when it's been evolving for right. 14.8 or 7 billion years. But here's another question. A lot of people want to preserve things, and I see the importance of it. But actually, if you look at the origin of each of these mass extinctions and the newness coming out, and the latest one being the dinosaurs and the little mammals, <clears throat> apparently not only does crisis proceed transformation but chaos and entropy is the field out of which syntropy and higher order comes we so we don't get newness without disorder yeah and we have enough disorder today that we're at the threshold of higher order by the connecting of what's already emergent and new that maybe 50 years ago was seemed totally insignificant like holistic health, or all these growing edges in every field of 
of the wheel of co-creation, yeah. everywhere is growing edges. Those growing edges are connecting. You mentioned the wheel of co-creation. Would you like to say a little bit about that? It's, it can yes. Take, yeah. No, <laughs> it can envision a spiral of evolution, like the origin of creation, universe, earth, life, animal life, human life, and they're all turns on the spiral. Now put another big turn and call it a wheel of co-creation. It's our turn on the spiral. And coming up through the all the other spirals is this impulse. <clears throat> and it comes through the hub of the wheel. Symbolically, I'm, I'm suggesting there's a new sacred space on Earth. And you could call it the heart of the hub of the wheel of co-creation. It's the place where the impulse comes through as you. Not just as your higher self outside of you, but you and in the peace room process, we're going to create a, a wheel of co-creation with a big canvas. You can lay it on the floor anywhere. And then people are going to go in. I'll tell a brief story. We'll have a little audio video, a brief story of the, of the story of creation. And then the person will step into the heart of the hub of the wheel with some meditation, some music, and be asked, what do you most want to create? And they will, you know, suggest what they want to create in every, any sector of the wheel, any function. And then they will be asked, what do you most need to create it? And if there's anybody in that group who has anything to offer to the person, you create vocational connections, which is very juicy. Yeah. And eventually, when this gets onto Internet, if you have a need, somebody has a resource somewhere for you. And pretty soon you're going to get social synergy. It's an amazing time to be alive, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? It but is. Indeed. We have to be in conscious evolution now. It's no longer the universe will just do it for us while we observe it or try to just survive personally. The universe has given us the first age of conscious evolution. We know we're affecting our environment by everything we do. Everything. The babies we have, the cars we drive, the wars we fight, the thoughts we think, everything. So if you become a conscious evolutionary, like I am, like you are, that like in my book, Conscious Evolu uh, Evolutionary Testament of Co-Creation, which I'll be doing in Gla Grass Valley, mm -hmm. then what it does is it heightens your own inner experience of consciousness as you create it. We used to look out there at the miracles if we were awake enough to see how it's all a miracle, a baby, a tree, an eagle flying oh. overhead. It's a miracle. But now we're becoming the miraculous. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're the miraculous. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, and it's very interesting to see what nature of nature wants to be preserved mm -hmm. and what of nature is evolving. We don't know for sure because we haven't seen. So it's very good to be maintaining species that are being destroyed, that keeping all of these genetic codes. I'm sure that's right. And preserving nature up to a point. But the nature itself is evolving. There's no way around it. And so what are we evolving toward is so important. It's more than preservation of what we already have been given. It's participating in nature, co-evolving with nature because we've become a natural force of creation. And that must be part of nature. What's the role of intention in that, once we're awakening, to, to be a driver of that force? Intention seems to be a very important aspect. What's Tough your thought one. around that? I think intention creates, consciousness right. creates. And if you go down to the quantum level, intention and observation creates the reality that you're experiencing. Yeah. I mean, it's immediate. Actually, I mean, if the quantum physics is weird, weirder than you can imagine, but there's no matter there. <laughs> Apparently, there's interaction so that an electron or a proton is not just hanging out there, that you, you, can't, you can't measure it and um, measure its speed and it, its uh, locality in the same time because you're affecting it by your measurements of it. Like in the double bind uh, experiment where exactly. you, you observe it and it becomes something other than it from a wave to a particle. And, and Yeah, so if you apply that in your own daily life, 
it's very important because then you become aware that what you're intending, you're creating. Yeah. And you become conscious of intention as creation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that goes back to the idea of a genuine co-creator. So I'm, I'm practicing being aware of an intention as a, the creative force that I am, I'm actually expressing. So you want to be really conscious of intention. So whether you're conscious or not, your intention is still causing the You're unfolding. causative. Yeah, you're causative, right, exactly. You cannot avoid being causative. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Let's let's just take a second to talk, uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard, about what you're going to be doing on Saturday and Sunday, March 5th and 6th here. So on Saturday, you're going to give a talk on Evolutionary Spirituality Comes Alive in Us Now. So we've been talking about that. Um, can you give any more details? or? Well, it's going to be experiential. Mm -hmm is I will give sort of an overview of evolutionary spirituality, like with the, the th four E's, but mm -hmm. then to go into smaller groups and actually see what people are experiencing of evolutionary spirituality mm -hmm. and how to amplify it in our own lives until, let's say, our goal would be eternal, embody, emerge, eros, is to become, here's a new word I love, telerotic. Oh, I know. I love that one, too. Don't you love Talk that about one? it. I do. Eros. <laughs> so you become, the goal of evolutionary spirituality is you become telerotic. That is your eros and telos, your high purpose and your love, is turned on in you and you become the force of creation yourself. Mm. Mm. So that would be the goal. Lovely. That everybody gets up like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday... I guess I'll give a small sermon on Jesus as an evolutionary and then talk something about the, man, the wonderful manuscript, the Evolutionary Testament, where I've taken the passages of the New Testament and then written an inspiration from an evolutionary perspective. And with Carolyn Anderson and Re Reverend Jerry, we have done a guide to realizing your full potential using the writings in Evolutionary Testament. So I'll do something from that with Carolyn. Is this the 52 codes? No, no, no it's not a book. New. It's an, it's new and it goes particularly with the Evolutionary Testament. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, and Carolyn and Jerry Falwell did this. Uh, Jerry Falwell. Jerry Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm a little different there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to actually look at the New Testament with evolutionary eyes. Let's go back to the New Testament for a minute. And uh, one of the things that I had a question about, you talked about Jesus going through the crowds and healing. And in the New Testament, they talk, I can't remember the exact phrase, but they talk about how a light was emanating, like his clothes were illuminated, his whole being was light. Yeah. And you hear this in so many different spiritual things that, that, you know, that light was the beginning and that, you know, this force of light. Can you talk a little bit about from your perspective in this model that you've created, the role of light? Well, you know, here's a really interesting thought about light bodies. Mm -hmm. If you have followed these near-death experiences that people have had, it's almost always they see light bodies. And so first of all, I said to um, the man who wrote Proof of Heaven, um, I think it's Evan Alexander, he, I said, what do you think Jesus' resurrection body was? He said it was a light body. It's a body that can appear and disappear. They say that uh, some of the sightings of UFOs have to be photon-based rather than physicality because they appear and disappear. And you couldn't do it at physicality from the point of view of a UFO. So let's assume that the next stage of life is light bodies. Mm -hmm. Let's assume that the near-death experiences are actually extended life experiences. Because we didn't die. Yeah. So whatever we experience in those so-called near-death is actually extended life. Well, this uh, proof of heaven, is, it's just so delightful that often people don't want to come back. 
But I'm suggesting maybe we should just go forward and not and, and evolve. And why did Jesus come out of the tomb in a new body in the story? Good question. Because he didn't come out as the cosmic presence. He came out as a person. And he said, touch me, feel me, I'm here. Now that, I think, is actually the great revelation of Christianity and of the New Testament. His light body is the result of the next stage of evolution. And that it's already happening to some degree through all our health awareness, through our much more concern of what we eat, through moving away from red meat and heaviness and, and, and heavy desserts and stuff like that. Most people I know are really eating differently than we have eaten before. And we're realizing exercise is important. So we're beginning to deal with this existing body in much more, I would say, thoughtful ways. And I'm feeling like I'm 86. And it is a very interesting inner feeling I have People say to me, because I'm full of life, are you feeling younger? And I'll say, no, I'm feeling newer. So if I'm feeling newer, how much more new can I get? Maybe a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hope you stay new in this body for a lot longer. Well, (laughs) maybe, maybe. I mean, I'll just go the whole way with this thought is the body itself is evolving. Because you know what I have found? This is epigenetics that by my intention to create being stronger than ever, my cells are getting a signal to evolve, not to die. Because if you are thinking you're pretty well finished and you're not that excited about your life, the cells know that because that's the consciousness field in which the cells exist. It feeds the intention we were talking about, too. Exactly. So I I think we should recognize this and actually uh, intend to extend our creativity. It's not so much life extension per se, but extending the creativity of your life. If you are drawn to do that, your cells are aware of it and they begin to regenerate because they're sensitive to consciousness. And that's the whole Bruce Lipton biology of belief. So up to a point, and we don't know exactly what point, my cells are regenerating, I feel sure. However, if I go the next step, which is going to be available very soon, and a lot of people are scared about it, is genetic engineering. Well, you can change the, the, um, they say, you can do radical life extension. Those telomeres that shorten, you can learn how they don't shorten. So they're working on overcoming physical death on all fronts. And I'm sure it's going to lead to life extension. I'm sure it is too. I'm, I'm always concerned when we start fiddling with, with the natural order of things. But then, as you say, we are now co-creators. And in order to survive, we have to be co-creators. And not, not only that, nature has been experimenting for billions of years and many, many failures. Nature doesn't actually stop experimenting. You say the natural order of things is experiment. Mm -hmm. Try it out. See if it works or not. So the idea that that the way nature works is by preserving everything the way it is, we would none of us would be here at all. So you're at the edge of experimentation which is totally natural and there will be mistakes, but there will also be breakthroughs. So how do we equate the mistakes with the breakthroughs? And how do we know how to tend toward breakthrough rather than collapse? Well, I think it has to do with consciousness and love and also increased intelligence and increased creativity, all of that. So one of the things that you've been talking about is embodying our full potential to become the new human. So if I'm hearing this conversation for the first time, listening to this show, and I say, I, I want that. I want, to, um, I want to embody my fullest potential in this lifetime and 
maybe beyond. Yes. Then where do I start? What what would I be doing if I was just hearing this for the first time and going, wow, this this is pretty amazing. I'd like to do that. But where do I start? I'll tell you where I start. In your own meditation, start by seeing if you can get in touch with that inside you that most attracts you to create. Whatever it is. It could be simple, like I want a new garden or I, I'm going to go fishing, but you have to really want to create something. Yes. It's not just, well, I'd sort of like to go to the movies. I don't mean that. You have to get in touch with an impulse, which I think of as the impulse of evolution within you, that gives you joy to think of expressing it. And that means you're saying yes to that impulse, which is a life force of the divine in you, and it turns on. And you start getting some attention to the compass of joy inside that has to do with a feeling of that intentional purpose that was given to you. You didn't make it up. You know, when I went to college, nobody thought about what's real vocation. Is are you going to major in history, math, English, etc.? And I had no idea because I didn't know vocation. So actually following and getting in touch with that most deeply attracts you is getting in touch with vocation, vocare, soul's call. And when you do, you can tell that you're doing it because there's a certain feeling of joy, excitement, presence. And if you say yes to that, even in the simplest way, you're on the way, you're on the path. The next step obviously seems to be community, but I want to go back a little bit to what you said there, because when you first were looking at going to school as a teenager or to higher education, there weren't a lot of options available in the common, what do I want to say, the cultural conversation was mm -hmm. you would be a secretary or a housewife and raise children. Absolutely. Or, oh, my God, that's all. That that's about it, really. Yeah. For a woman, I mean, that would be about it. And so, the whole conversation, though, has changed to what your daughter is doing, what mine is doing. You know, oh, so yeah. there's so much more possibility in that. And yet, there's there's something about community and the cultural conversation that is very ripe for what you're talking about. This thing about being contained in a conversation. As, so if I do, I, I do move towards my compass of joy, I feel that, and I know the things I, I'm drawn to, then what you're talking about, the pods and the interconnection, is what's really going to elevate that community <laughs> of consciousness. Right. So then once you, ideally, when you get an impulse that attracts you to create, to be more, if you can find even one other person to start with yeah. who shares this and where you get this uh, joining genius feeling, you're not just telling each other things, even just sharing, you're, you feel this kind of uh, suprasexual excitement, mm -hmm. telerotic. Telerotic. Right. <laughs> you get Telerotic. <laughs> I love That's the sign that you're on the track. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> it's true. Oh, dear. So um, let's see. Anything else that we want to talk about? We talked about uh, resurrection and we talked about... <laughs> That's, oh, so that, yes. <laughs> Ascension, ascension of yeah. the body, and the and the uh, and we've talked before about the Homo universalis becoming a new species. Anything else that you'd like to cover around the evolutionary testament of co-creation? Uh, I really would like to put forward a very important thought that everybody who's interested can help with. The Bible is the most read book in the entire world. It's affecting people every single day. Mm -hmm. So it would be great for those of us who have evolutionary eyes in reading it. It's not a new theology. It's a perspective on what's written. 
as being an implicate order of what's emerging. I would like to affect many, many Bible readers mm. who are faithful Christians or people who love the New Testament and even love the Old Testament who would be able to see it with evolutionary eyes. When you think of the billions of people, think of dear Pope Francis. I'll tell you one really, really great compliment I just received that I, I'm mentioning because it's, I'm so so touched by it. There's a woman called Ilia Delio, who was a great student of Teilhard de Chardin. She's a nun. She's a, a, she was head of the Catholic department at Georgetown University. And her new book, uh, Making All Things New, she says, how is the, how, with given nature, Jesus, Catholicism, and the church, what's moving forward look like? Yeah. She's an evolutionary woman. So she said, there are four people or groups that I want to mention in that category of moving the entire thing, when she's calling it Catholicity, hmm. wholeness, Catholicity. So Catholic means whole, Catholicity. Who, who's out there doing something to move it forward? And here's the four. Pope Francis, Barbara Marks Hubbard, the Dalai Lama, and the Leadership Conference of Women Religious. Now, she goes in her chapter about me, she says, Barbara, like Pope Francis, is a Christic fractal. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and what I'm going to be saying in Grass Valley is how many of us are Christic fractals, and can we realize we're the ones moving it forward? It's not going to be moving forward by dogma. But if you can move that forward more than any other single moving forward on the face of this earth, it's moving Jesus into the evolutionary category because he's the one that billions of people are following. And the ones that are really following it are not at the top of the Vatican. The, the ones that are following it are the nuns and the people in the, in the streets. And Pope Francis is attempting to do that. He's just in Mexico now. Mexico is a horror of criminality. I mean, people are afraid of the police in Mexico. Yeah. So, and, and he's saying, you know, this is outrageous, and he's trying to get the Catholic, the Catholic uh, priest, it's a Catholic country, to take this seriously. So that's not moving it forward there. Pope Francis is moving it forward. Why am I moving it forward? It's because I'm aware of conscious evolution. Conscious evolution is moving us forward, and I'm the one who's creating, with many others, a new context for moving forward, more than the Pope Francis or the Dalai Lama, for that matter, because they're still the very best of what they are, yeah. rather than the radically new. So that brings up a, a, you mentioned context, and that brings up an important question, and, and, and that it has to do with these people that are reading the Bible from a fundamentalist perspective, not an evolutionary perspective, and taking the things that couldn't even be understood that were happening at the time it was written, about Jesus at least, right. and they're interpreting that in a way that's very self-serving for their own agenda. Right. So any form of fundamentalism now, in attempting to go back, and this is something that Teilhard de Chardin said, there are two kinds of people on this earth. One is homo progressivus, attracted to the future, progressing to the unknown. We don't know, but we're attracted. That's where I'm saying that's how you get into being this kind of human. You get what attracts you and you say yes. The other type he called the bourgeois. They're trying to keep it the way it is. So all fundamentalisms on earth today are reactive from ISIS for apocalyptic death to any, whether it be Christian fundamentalism, Jewish fundamentalism, Muslim fundamentalism, is all reactive and attempting to hold on to something that you can't hold on to, so they will not succeed. So Teilhard said eventually, it, homo progressive it will become the dominant species on earth, the dominant type. In order to interrupt that, there has to be some 
opening like non-dualism, some way to keep that, whatever it is that drives that belief and sense of being separate. I'm a separate self in a separate body. I'm separate from you. I'm separate from the web of life. How do we begin to break through that unexamined belief that we're separate from everything? I, I really think that that's where the spiritual practice comes in. Also, the noticing that the, the, the world is so interconnected that we have to realize even on an external level that we're connected with nature with each other or we'll die. Mm -hmm. And we can't just destroy species and destroy nature and expect to evolve. No. So that's one level. But the deeper level of evolutionary spirituality is I feel one with the eternal, one with the evolving aspect of the eternal, which is the evolutionary. And I'm one with what's emergent in myself in the world. And I'm tolerotic. That's the way that I'm doing it. That's the way I'm going to offer in Grass Valley, and I think it's actually very luscious. It's very luscious. I mean, you might as well say it's really wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate this. It's wonderful to talk with you as usual. It's great to be with you too, Barbara. And I know you got a dinner and a meeting and yeah. things happening, but it's just a joy to connect. And uh, so I wish I could fun. be there with you, with Reverend I'm Jerry and Carolyn. And, yes. Well, and thank you for doing this. All. This is just great. So, well, have you take care. Until next time, be well. Right. And, Thanks so much. And Bye -bye. continuing to grow in newness. Yes, we will. Conversations is an independently produced program supported by KVMR 89.5 Nevada City and listener contributions. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or order any of our past shows, please call 530-477-7757 or go to our website at arewelistening.net.